Zero, negative one, <laughs> negative two. <laughs> <laughs> Levi just counted us in, everybody, because we are uh, entering episode 10 of dun, the Black dun, dun, Light dun. podcast. Uh, we should like record an intro so people know what we're doing. We probably like, should. We should have like, a pre-recorded intro like, yeah. for every episode. And it'll go like this. That literally tells people nothing about what we're It tells us that there's a podcast called Black Light, that it's Levi and AD. And, and that's that about they like it. to say and, <laughs> and that they're stupid. They're silly, silly people. Oh, gosh. Uh, guys, welcome back to the Black Light Podcast. We are uh, here talking about everything. We're talking about photography and everything that pertains to photography, which is everything because photography is everything. Does that make sense? Everything is photography. That, I didn't write that down. I just made it up. And if you believe it, then you're, you shouldn't be listening. <laughs> no, you should be listening. No, we're talking about everything. Uh, we've talked about race. We've talked about... Uh, skin tones, we've about skin tones, we've talked about editing, we've talked about uh, uh, vampiric energy, vampiric energies. I remember that, yeah, yeah with Francis. Uh, yeah, so we're here, and if uh, we're happy, I think. Uh, have you ever listened to the podcast? I have. You you have listened to? I have listened to it. I want to make sure that we, it actually sounds good, that the audio is right, all that stuff. Like yeah, that. and I think we've we've gotten a lot better. Like in the beginning, there was a couple of shaky episodes. Oh, there was it was rough at the start. Yeah, like forgetting to turn our mics on sometimes. <laughs> Sorry, uh, but now we're good. I think we're you know we're we're finding our 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 gallop. I don't know what's the gallop. What's the stride? A rhythm that, or stride? Yeah, ri- rhythm. Yeah, we're. Finding, I have all these horse based analogies. Yeah. Uh, I actually listened to the last one, and we were talking about dreams, um, just like this past Monday. I was like, "Oh, like I, I bet we could talk about dreams like quite a bit, like if we wanted to. Like, like, do you have some favorite? Do you dream? I do dream. Yeah, you know what though? As an adult, my dreams are much less. Like, I don't remember them as much as I used to as a kid. Sure. As a kid, I feel like I remember my dreams very frequently. And I actually had two, I had one reoccurring dream that only recurred twice. So, and, and it was, and it was this very long dream about this like journey thing that I was on, but it was kind of like an, a nightmare without being actually like aggressively like scary. It was just everything on, everything that was happening was like things that made me uncomfortable. Like I don't like sea creatures. There's like a bunch of sea creatures involved. <laughs> <laughs> like actual sea creatures. Well, th- there's a very specific memory I have in my mind of like, like a 2D picture of like me and some other person I don't remember who, like in a boat mm-hmm. on the water, and that's okay. like the top of the of the image. Then it goes down, and there's like a whole cascade of all kinds of like fish and sea creatures that you'd find in a book. Like, oh, here's sure. all the, the fish that live in this thing. Like yeah. all the way down, and there is like me in this boat at the top. And I remember it was weird because I dreamed like in 2D for that portion of the dream. Wow. And it was very, and I have it ingrained into my memory today. I can still like recall exactly what I remember dreaming. Maybe that's what was I, the dream? Like, I mean, for that one, that was just like we were on this like it was just that epic journey of some kind. I don't remember the, all the details now of what that entailed. But like, we had to like cross rivers and cross oceans of things to like get to this this end of de- like destination. Um, so the actual details of the dream itself now are lost on me. Sure, but that sure. particular scene of it is. I have a. Uh... 
Well, I feel like this is this is weird, but I feel like your name is a fisherman's name, like Levi, <laughs> Levi the fisherman. <laughs> am, I, am I crazy for saying that? Yeah, I, just, I think a little bit. Don't, do you know what I'm saying though? Like, no, I don't. <laughs> if someone was like writing a book about a fisherman and they needed a name. I feel like Levi would be up, like Jonas or Levi, or you know what I mean? Like, I, I guess why though? I don't know. It's like a. I mean, the people, the people that okay. out there, they're like, yeah, AD, they agree with me. Okay, they okay. Agree. All right, let's just roll with it. <laughs> okay. So in, your, in this fictional narrative where Levi is the fisherman. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's uh, how I think of you as a fisherman. Hmm. I have a dream from when I was a boy that is my favorite dream of all time. Like, you know those cement tubes, like, on the side of the road when they're doing construction? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, with the huge cylinders. The huge cylinders. Yeah. All right, so uh, we, in, in my dream, we go... I wake up, or I don't know, I just go through one of these tubes, and it's like this interdimensional portal that sends me to, like, a portal hub, like an interdimensional station where all these weird creatures come, and we've been asked to fight this war, right? And then, why are you looking at me like that? It's It's a dream. It's like some Black Panther 2. No, it's a dream. (laughs) It's like, anyway, so we've been asked to fight this war, uh, and they're like, sourcing people from all over the the galaxy to fight these incoming people. And so we all, like, we train, and then we go, we all have our different vehicles, and I had, like, a really, really huge uh, monster truck. Like, it was, like, a really tiny cab with huge wheels, like, bigger than you're thinking right now, like, huge wheels. And that's what I was fighting with in space. But, so we all together go through this, uh, this huge cement tunnel thing to go fight the war, and it lasts like years but i don't actually see that part of it like i just know that we went through it and then in my mind in the dream we come back out of it so even in your dream the memories are like lost in the dream yeah in the dream it didn't the part of me at war didn't play okay but i you know how you sometimes you dream and you can feel the memories right yeah the memories there but you don't you didn't actually experience it. I didn't experience it yeah. in the dream. Yeah. So I so I come back through the portal, and I know that it was years later, and I know we won this epic, hard-fought battle, and that's the feeling that mm. I have. And there was this girl uh, in with, like, pigtail or something, and she had, like, rainbow-colored hair. She was from a different dimension, and she couldn't come back to my dimension, but we had obviously fallen in love. But listen, this is 12-year-old AD. Like, yeah, I'm just this like, is like deep yeah. dive into AD soul. Yeah, and so we had fallen in love, and she had her vehicle, I had mine. We, we left it somewhere, and we went to like this grassy area where there was a park bench, and then we sat on the park bench, and she leaned her head on my shoulder, and I was like extremely sad because this, this was our goodbye, you know? And so, and at that point, I woke up, and I w- woke up, so sad like that i had like this was the love of my life i had met her we'd gone through battle but we're two dimensions apart and i'll never i'll never even thinking about it now years later not that many years because i'm not old but you know what i mean i'm I'm literally sad about losing do you ever wonder if it wasn't actually a dream what do you mean, Levi? Like, <laughs> like maybe this really happened, and coming out of that that dream world was you like exiting I really that dimension, yeah, in another dimension. Yeah, listen, it's it's possible. I I uh, I mean I mean possible in the sense that it's not possible at all. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean because people have some really like wild dreams where they're. Uh, I've just been talking about dreams since we talked last, and so I've been talking to people about dreams and there's this guy that I was talking to last night 
he had this he has these dreams where he's interacting like let's say in the dream he has to hold on to a pole um for safety or he's like his this is what he said his friend was uh falling off a cliff or something and he had to hold on to his friend's arm and like not let the friend fall off the cliff uh but in reality in like in the real world he was actually holding on to his ceiling fan and like pulling it out a little bit and so he like wakes he goes to the bathroom wakes up a little bit comes back and sees like pieces of his ceiling on the ground because like because he was holding on to it and he like went through like dream after dream in which he's still having this sort of tactile experiences that coincide with his dream world and i was like dude that's crazy that is you know? crazy. like wow. it's so wild yeah. but the story is i mean i thought it was pretty neat i was like dang yeah and i now you were saying earlier that in old age you dream differently they're not mm-hmm. as like you don't remember them as much or they're yeah. not as my dreams now are actually so realistic that i sometimes confuse them with reality really like i'm like hey levi you remember when we got coffee that time and you're like bro we didn't get coffee. Yeah. What are you talking about? We, you know, it's so, and and so I'm like, I have to think. I'm like, oh, that was a dream. Like, I don't know why. It's kind of lame, but that's just. The, Do you dream about mundane things now? Like, are, are some of your dreams things like that? Like, you got coffee with a friend? Yeah, like it's just, well, I won't have, I won't actually have the dream of going to get coffee. I'll, it's like I have the memory of going to get coffee, or or you know, like I'm like, oh yeah, we had this conversation or something like that, and it it wouldn't have happened, like. And then on a scary note, I don't have any... I've never had a nightmare. I think I've had one nightmare. And if I was to tell you it, you'd be like, that's not a nightmare ID. Like, well, you should tell us then. It wasn't really... I mean, someone was chasing me, and I hid in a bush, and then they passed. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was the scariest dream I've ever had. That's not even a story, let alone a dream. I know, it's nothing. But I've never I've never had a nightmare, um, which, yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. It's kind of weird. I mean, I've never had... I have had like these nightmares again as a kid. I had these dreams that there would be these people that lived in our basement. As I was scared to go down in our basement, just in general, not because of these people, but like I knew they weren't real. But I had these dreams of that they'd be in the basement. They're always looking for my dad, but they're always wearing like weird costumes, like all green or like all orange, like a like a what like a onesie, like a like a jumper, all orange, with like long cone kind of hat on. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And it, that same color. And they weren't, like, scary looking. They are just, like, some middle-aged, overweight white dude. Like, that's what they, There's two of them. That sounds very scary. Yeah. and But they would, like, always... I remember, like, I'd be downstairs, like, on our stairs. And they would be, like... They, I remember, like, then seeing them, like, kind of turn the corner, like, walk up. And they're kind of walking up the stairs. And I could, was running up the stairs. And I could never get up the stairs fast enough. Like, Wait, they catch you? They like that's when I'd wake up. Like I'm running up the stairs and oh I, I'm gosh. not getting any closer yeah, to the top. And then that's it. And so there's never anything that was like truly frightful. There was never like any that I can recall of distinct things of why they were so scary. It was just this unknown like getting away from something. What are you talking about? They're extremely scary. Okay. <laughs> just in the way you're described. Yeah, you're I like... guess I can. Yeah. <laughs> so I, but I haven't had, yeah, I never had like any night terrors or things in my dreams. They're like, yeah, me like, either. like visually upsetting or things that are just like traumatizing or horrifying and like in like a grotesque kind of imagery kind of things. Like, right, right. So. Yeah, no, me neither. Um, although I, man, I was talking to another friend and she was like, I don't know if she, well, I'm not going to say her name, but she was like, she has had these dreams like before her, her mom passed away. She like had, she had the same recurring dream seven days like prior 
uh, that her mom was going to pass away. Like, it's super scary. That's crazy. And, like, I was like, so, but had you been talking to your mom? Was your mom sick? She's like, my mom lives overseas, and I hadn't talked to her. And so, but but she had talked to her dad, and she was like, hey, dad, I had this dream. And the dad was like, oh, that's just a dream. Don't worry about it. You know, like, and she was like, okay. And then, uh, like, seven days later, well, it was happened, the dream happened consecutively. That's insane. Seven days. And the mom was calling the sister and saying to the on to the sister, "Hey, my my head hurts." So out of nowhere, she had a brain aneurysm and died. And then the lady said the same thing happened uh, to her grandfather. She had three days of dreaming about her grandfather uh, dying, and then on the third day, he like passed away. I was like, "All right, listen, we're no longer friends. Like, I'm not gonna talk to you." Like, what? I mean, it's not. It's more like, like, oh my gosh, what in the world? Like, where, where does this, uh, you know? Because you can start getting into like lucid dreaming and like controlling your dreams and like. Well, I actually had a friend who was literally trying to get into lucid dreaming. Like, he was trying to. Mm create experiences and he's he's researching how do you teach yourself to lucid dream lucid dreaming is where you can kind of control your dream you can literally like wake up inside your dream but you're still existing in the dream and you're and you're Mm self-aware and so he was working to train himself to to lucid dream okay what happened to where is he now so that like (laughs) he's a friend from childhood we remember talking when i went back home to see my parents and we talked about it you know and that was kind of like where it I haven't caught up on him. I should he's, probably text him to find he's out. Gone. He's, he's gone. He's gone. He doesn't he's, exist. He's living in he's, limbo. He's like, living in the <laughs> other dimension. Actually, the thought of him, I don't even remember his name. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> oh gosh, it's kind of creepy. I don't like it anymore. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, it's kind of like the Mandela effect. Are you familiar with the Mandela effect? You, you know for sure I'm oh, familiar okay. with the Mandela effect. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even ask. I'm yeah. literally asking so people can hear the word Mandela effect. Yeah, because it's probably the best uh, conversation topic in the world. Uh, so if you don't know the Mandela effect is out there. Uh, it's this weird idea that like uh, half okay. So Mandela, he mm-hmm. he died. This is Nelson Mandela. Nelson, yeah, the, the, Nelson Mandela. Yeah, the leader of South there's Africa, a, former leader of South Africa. A cadre of people um, who believe Nelson Mandela died in uh, in the eighties or at some point. Yeah, they, I think it was in, yeah in early prison nineties yep. while he was in prison. Right, and they be, they believe that he. That they saw it in the news, it was a big deal. Every and like the collective consciousness, everyone knows that he died, and then everyone was like, "Sure, you know, they were sure." This is just a few, not a few. It's like a large group of people. Yeah, it's a larger group of unrelated people with the same memories. Yeah, and then so this all came out when Nelson Mandela was released from prison. They're like, "Wait, what? I thought he died." And so they were all very like all these stories came out. I was like, "Wait, I thought he died," and you know, and so they're very confused. And so uh, what, what's going on now is that people are saying, uh, I don't want people to think that we're crazy, but it's just like, it's interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting theory or, or just even approach to understanding these, these weird group memories, collective memories. Yeah, that, that uh, there are two different uh, dimensions uh, in which, or there are lots of different dimensions. Yeah, it's actually like all infinite amounts of dimensions. Yeah, but every once in a while, these dimensions collapse on each other and one of the timelines uh, take uh, take hold or take mm-hmm. to the forefront. So in one timeline, Nelson Mandela died, and in another one, he was released. Yeah. So these two dimensions, uh, they collapse on each other, and some of the people still have memories from the old one, 
But since he was released, they're like, wait, what happened? And so the problem is that what people are saying is that this is happening often. There are lots of examples. If you look up the Mandela effect, there are lots of examples in which uh, there are pe- people's memory doesn't coincide with the present truth. Right. For example, uh, and this is a silly example, but you guys can think about it. The, uh, the Berenstein Bears, all right? Uh, I, I, I've already messed up the example. But if you can think about how that was spelled, you know, like if you, have you done this already? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you think about how to spell the word Berenstein or how that sounded back then, you know, or, you know, when you were a kid reading the books. Yeah. Yeah. Can you look it up real quick? Yeah. Or I guess I can look it up. Um, because now I, my memory is so like confused. Well, that that one I I can kind of go with, um, I can pick that one up. So the Berenstein bears, it's obviously this, this children's book series about a family of bears um, and everyone pronounces it Berenstein Bears. Well, it's, I guess it's like regional. Some people pronounce it differently. Yeah, I but guess I true. grew up pronouncing it the Berenstein Bears. Same. Yeah, right. I mean, Ad grew up in the South and in Georgia, Savannah. I grew up in Chicago area. Yeah, and so we grew up in different parts of the world. Um, but if you look up the actual spelling of Berenstein, um, it's actually spelled B E R E N S T A I N Berenstein. Yeah, S T A I N, which is a very very small. Yeah, like. Oh, it's the Berenstain Bears. Who cares? Right. But how come so many people in school, where pronunciation is right. part of what we're do what we're doing, pronounce it Berenstain yeah. as opposed to Berenstain? That's a very clear, you know. So when you look at it, you're like Berenstain. That's not. That's, that's not, not right. That's not right. Yeah. But half of the people are split on this. They remember it being Berenstain. I remember it being. I even remember. I think I remember seeing it. E I N or. You know, it's, it's, now it's, I actually have a distinct memory as a kid looking at the book, the name of the book and being like, that isn't, that's not how we don't pronounce it the way it's spelled. Oh, you do. Yeah, I do. Um, it's just a weird random thing. I remember that. Like, that's kind of weird. Cause I mm-hmm. remember like, you know, educate or like pronunciation was a big part of school stuff. Right. But all I just say is there's, there are these plethora of things. And actually if it, in if the Mandela effect or in the theory, this would be true of infinite amounts of things infinite. down to like the color of like a tape measure. And you know, like the, 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 the dimensions that we are in are literally constantly splitting into different dimensions. Um, and you know, just tra- moving different trajectories and literally be infinite amount of, of universe's dimensions. In fact, right before we started recording, uh, Levi brought out his microphone and I was like, I was looking at it. I was like, is that, a different microphone? He's like, what are you talking about? You know I've had this microphone. I was like, yeah, but I remember it being a different color. And I, in my mind, I literally remember it being this color, being red. But now I'm thinking, okay, maybe I saw it as mm-hmm. I was thinking of that. But it was like a, a deep sort of maroon. Yeah. But it's possible that those that literally dimensions we've been collapsed, collapsed. And it's such an infinitesimal thing yeah. that it's not, I might not even notice. Noticing things in absence are, you know, are one of the hardest things uh, to notice. Like, if I was to come to your house again and, like, take a painting off the wall, for me to remember that there was a painting of a certain thing, that not that it's impossible, it's not anywhere close to impossible, it's just a difficult thing to notice. Right. Additive things I can remember, I, you'll remember easily. Mm-hmm. Things that are uh, taken away are hard to recall. Um, anyway, so that, that difference, I was like, oh, dang. 
Like, but it's possible that was like the Mandela effect. Multiverse, yeah. the multiverse. once again. Yeah, which uh, you guys, if you haven't read the book uh, Dark Matter, uh, oh, I read it. You actually recommended it to yeah, me. Yeah, and a, I listened to it on Audible. Yeah, it's a really fun. If you like, you know, sci-fi stuff, and you're a geek, even it's a fun listen. It's I think they're actually movie. turning it into a movie as well, too. Oh, really? I think I because after I read the book, I or listened to it, I googled it. Because I was really curious about it all, and yeah. I think they're the movie rights are purchased. Maybe it's already a movie in another dimension. Maybe it, what? it probably is. All right, that's enough weirdness. Because I don't think we have only weird people listening <laughs> to this, <laughs> this podcast. Oh my gosh, I don't even know what we're talking about, man. I mean, I think it's fascinating. I just, it's, I love it. It's high, yeah. Yeah, I could get, I could talk about this stuff all day. Just because it's, it's crazy, because it it shapes the world that we see, and it kind of begs the question: that is the world that we see the actual world? Yeah, or is it real? What does it even mean to to be real in that context, which is just a crazy yeah. notion. Or just like you think about like what are the, if you take it personally, like what are the uh, d- defining moments in your life? Or do, what are the, the things, I think one of the, my favorite get to know you questions, like if I'm in a group or something and we're like, hey, let's break the ice, but like for real, is saying like, hey, pick out like the three things in your life, the three nodes of experiences that, Help, help shape you or maybe five things that help shape you into who you are like the the turning point that is or, like the most intense icebreaker i've ever it heard. would be a very it's not not for like uh, you should just ask you like what's your greatest trauma in life <laughs> <laughs> well i think i preface it with by saying hey be as deep or as shallow as you need to be you know but i you know i've been into some like i think i was it was more when i was in americorps and we were doing some like really intensive like we were going to work for a year together and so we like really wanted to know each other and you know so we started talking about we started having some deeper conversations and uh but thinking oh man what if one of those things went a different way or what you know and so in knowing yourself it's interesting to think in those terms of like yeah oh if if i hadn't moved to colorado i might not have done x y and z or you know that kind of thing and i think i i moved to colorado which is a very weird story because I watched the movie Motorcycle Diaries. Have you seen that movie? I haven't. Oh my gosh, dude. It's literally uh, one of my favorite movies. It's really, really good. It's about uh, Che Guevara, who, but his early years, before he became the Cuban revolutionary guy, um, and he uh, he kind of travels South America. And I so I love movies where people uh, become, like they show the, the arc of a person and how they turn into who they are like kind of what we're talking about i love seeing what happened in their mind to make them who they are today uh in fact funny enough i asked that to one of your clients (laughs) i'll tell you in a second (laughs) anyway um it's just part of that's just part of something in movies that i really it it makes it very interesting to see someone change and so they go through him experiencing um south america and falling in love with south america because of travel, he travels around, and I watched the movie over and over again in college, and I was like, I want to do that. I want to see the world. I want to see poverty. I want to see, you know, wealth, and just understand kind of what what's in the world around me. And I that's why when I heard of AmeriCorps, and I heard, oh, you can be in this thing where you move around the states and work for different nonprofits and work in poverty for like couple months here then you get in a car and you drive here then you you know and I was like oh I want to do that and so right after I graduated college I did that the base was in Denver and I moved and I traveled around states and 
that, you know, and now I'm a, a revolutionary uh, genius. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, and so I, uh, I mean, I, I probably bought a motorcycle because of that, you know, because of that, that movie, which I really love visuals and movies, but that movie I, I think is one of those nodes in my life that it kind of like, I watched it and it just came in a part where I was ready for some direction and that was like, go look, go see things and be influenced. And I was like, okay, and I did. And then, so that's one of my notes, which is weird because it's just a movie, but it really... Yeah, those things really shape your life. Yeah, it really, shape I how think, you see the world. Yeah, if I had watched, like, uh, I don't know, like... Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Yeah, that would be a totally different <laughs> story right now. <laughs> totally different 18. <laughs> but no, I okay, so I was second shooting for you, I think it was this year. It was kind of awkward, actually. And, and your, uh, your groom cool guy but i was hanging out with the groom right mm-hmm. and we were walking it was the one around that lake we were walking oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh and i was hanging out with him about to take his picture and i'm in this space where i want to take a real photograph of him in this moment and so for me i was like who are you in this moment i've never talked to you like what has brought you to here right now that's what i was thinking and so I asked him that. I was like, "Hey, man, I know this is a, a little probably deeper than you know you're than you were than expecting. you want to or expect to." Yeah, go. yeah. But uh, you know, I real quick, I was like, "Man, I was born in Nigeria. I, you know, and I went through a series of events. We talked about it a little bit where I am like here now, photographing you, and I'm wondering what what kind of led you to be in this space, like right here, right now." And he was like, and I was like, man, this is Levi's clients. He'll be able to tell me, yeah, you know, because you're, you're so deep and moody or whatever. And uh, he was like, uh, I don't know, man. I have to think about that and get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> we never, we never talked about it. You, like, you oh, should okay. like email him and be like, hey, I just want to be the answer to that question. Yeah, <laughs> just so you know, that guy that you'll never see again. Uh, I still want to know. Yeah, but I, I honestly, I think he did think about it, and I think it did get a photograph mm. while he was thinking about it that embodies that. I don't think he was ready to share it with me, but I think he was thinking of yeah. something deeper than just like, oh yeah, she's she's coming and we're going to hug. I think it took him into a deeper space where it was just like, wow, this is me in this time in in life. Yeah. And this is interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think about things like that all the time, just like, you know, which school you went to or other things that you, that at the moment, they seem like big decisions, but you don't recognize that literally life-altering decisions. Like, sure. yeah, it seems like a, a big choice. Would should I go to this school or to that school? But you're literally altering the course of your entire life by doing one thing or the other. Like, and that I think is so crazy. It's like, there's just big things like that, but also smaller things. Like, you know, I've had friends that have gotten into like a car accident or something, or they met somebody like randomly like on the first date that they or not on a date they just went out to a bar and met somebody that day. Mm-hmm. It's like little things that, like for negative, positive, or, or for better, or for worse, I guess can literally alter the course of your life just because you went to out for drinks with a friend or like you hopped in your car and you know one day at a certain time it's just like those things are crazy mm-hmm. how it's just the small it could be the smallest little like mundane task that could alter your life forever sure yeah and i think i mean that's the scary and beautiful part of you know i i became a photographer because my buddy from americorps was working with a girl and was like, hey, you should meet his husband. He's cool. We met. And uh, I was like, hey, if you ever need a, a photography assistant, I would love to learn. That's how I became a photographer. Like, he was like, 
mm, okay, sure. And he brought me out to assist him at a wedding, but and he gave me a camera. And that's literally how I started shooting. If I hadn't asked that guy, and he, or if he had been like, meh, no. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm good, I don't need anyone, or I'll just go with someone who knows something about photography to be my second shooter. But he just was like, well, you seem like a nice guy. Sure, come on. I didn't know anything. But that that changed my life. Like, yeah. That we coffee. are literally sitting here in this room because of that coffee that you shared. Yeah. Yeah, this podcast, listeners, you're only... Li- no, yeah. Just, <laughs> this but, podcast you're listening to could alter the course of your life. <laughs> <laughs> what if someone's like, yeah, I listened to this podcast, and then I realized that Nelson, Nelson Mandela had died, <laughs> or something, I don't know, that's not going to happen. But, I mean, you know, maybe you never know. Maybe someone listens to this and realizes I don't want to be a photographer. Or maybe they, they listen to this and they're like, I'm never listening to this podcast again. They are rambling. And so <laughs> their life is better than not listening, <laughs> to this. which is not true, guys, because we love you. We got, we love that you're listening. Yeah, uh, we actually want to get into some stuff that you guys yeah. have been uh, we, sending us. Some we got questions. just a couple questions you know, on, uh, on Instagram, so we're gonna answer some of those. We're gonna come back, take a quick break, and we're gonna come back and answer some of those questions. All right. Blacklight podcast. All right, we're back. We're very sorry, guys. We'll work on that intro. Yeah, we will. So this week, I put a shout-out on Instagram about uh, if you have any questions, give us a holler. Uh, so we have a couple questions we'd like to answer, and people th- threw out at us. And so we're just going to pick yeah, them off one hear, by one. Let's hear the questions, yeah. All and right. who? Let's shout out the uh, okay. peeps. Uh, Katie Michelle Photo asked a question. What's up, Katie Michelle? Uh, tips on shooting in the middle of the day. Oh, dang. Yeah. I mean, oh, these are yeah. legit questions. Yeah, okay. So... I guess I should start this with a a brief preface that for about three years or so, I was pretty terrified to shoot in harsh light because I was scared of it. Um, So I, my work, I think gravitates towards like this little more dramatic, a little more cinematic, cloudy, overcast feeling. And I think that's, those are things that I love. Mm -hmm. However, I think part of that was also too, because I really didn't know how to use middle of the day slash harsh light. Um, So now what I do for the middle of the day. If I see harsher light, I get more excited. I'm like, okay, let's make it interesting. Um, I work to kind of balance, balance between different extremes. Like I like to do full sun, like them facing the sun. I also like to do some backlight. I also kind of like to see uh, like open shade, kind of like how they're looking inside of those things. But also I want like some of that light to kind of um, cascade onto them in a way that it kind of makes the photo more interesting because harsh light like I shot a wedding this past weekend and you know the sun was pretty pretty harsh and so um, the bride was in like full sun and the groom was, was in the shade based on where they were standing at the, for their vows and people like don't love that light but I was like man I'm just eating this up it's awesome because it creates such more way more interesting of a composition with the light and the shadow so I would say for myself biggest tip is to lean into it like you can't change it so you kind of get good over that you can't look at the light and be like yep yeah, not today um you gotta kind of figure out how the light works for you like what about that light do you like what could you actually use that would make your voice come alive how what resonates with that that middle of the day light that is something you can actually take and run with um, yeah the, the shadows are gonna be harsh yeah there's gonna be like directional light but how do you make it your own and really just instead of like being afraid of it lean into some of the imperfections for this kind of like semi-wabi-sabi mentality that like yeah the light isn't perfect mm-hmm. but that's kind of the whole point is that you make these images outside of it that aren't perfect sure and perfect um, like light wise but also compositionally 
I would say um, my first tip to shooting in harsh light is to not shoot in harsh light. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm okay. kidding. Obviously, I love shooting in all sorts of situations. But uh, but if you are in, you know, we have a job to do. And a lot of times that job includes giving people nice photos. And you get to control that narrative. And so if you don't think you need to take a, a nice photo in harsh light, I, th- I want to tell you to push yourself, but I often, too, look for shade. I look for a tree and stand on the other side of the shade. And I'll shoot and I'll backlight my subject and overexpose them by a stop whenever the sun is behind them. So we know that whenever the sun is behind the subject, the subject that we're exposing for, you're going to overexpose them by one stop of light. So while they're, so they will be exposed and you'll sort of get this filled in airy background, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that's... That's one tip is look for where it is the most forgiving. Look for the shady spot. Now, to actually shoot in harsh light, um, technically, you'll, I don't know where you are in photography, but uh, you'll want to stop, stop down. So you'll, instead of shooting everything so shallow at like, you know, F1.4 or F2, which is the normal photograph- wedding photography go-to. Well, not, yeah, maybe it's 2.8 for, no- for normal. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> you'll just want to stop down. Uh, and you might have to shoot it at four or five, which will, you know, obviously you won't have the greatest depth of field, but uh, you'll be able to not be overexposed. Uh, okay, so that's the, the simple thing. Uh, and then the other thing I'll say is to look for what the light is telling you, which is a, a little bit more romantic. But what I mean by that is the light does have a story. And so sometimes if you look at uh, the rim light of or the thing that, is sort of like the light, the light is being cast down on, there'll be a harsh line of, uh, of light on your subject or on, uh, or on something. And I think exposing for that line of light, and so you're like super stopped down or you're super fast um, with a really low ISO, and you, you're exposing for that line, and then you can start making shapes out of that line as opposed to just shooting the people in front of you. Now you can convert to sharp start shooting uh, lines and patterns inside of inside of your frame and therefore you're make for me that's when you start making a different sort of art yeah. so instead of just shooting like okay I need to take your picture and I need to have your likeness in the picture uh, I will use your sort of shape and how the how the light is being cast on you harshly uh, exposed for the the line of light or the story of the light as I call it and uh, make a photograph that way mm. yeah. Um, yeah, so there are so many other things to talk about. I'd love to like see an example of what you're doing in harsh light. So maybe tag us uh, in a photo or something on, on blacklight and, and show us what you, like, if we can talk about maybe what you can do better or what we see in that photo, um, and we'll just fire back at you online. Um, but, yeah, we'd love to walk with you in that. So thanks for your question. Yeah. All right, next question is from my man Gabe McMullen. Gabe! Asking, what is the best way to create a referral chain? Should we offer incentives for other photographers? Okay, yeah. Um, you I, want that I, one or you want... I mean, I, I have some thoughts on this. I think that referral incentives for the photographers is a really smart idea. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is that I think one thing that, motivate, one thing that motivates people is money. And photographers have built up a, use their brand to build up a, um, 
a following around them. And I think if they've done the work to do that, they deserve to be compensated for that, their quality and the, of the value that they bring with their brand. Sure. Yeah. So my mentality is like, yeah, if you want referrals, you should pay for them. Um, and like, I think obviously they, they come back to myself. Like I, I'll throw my friends stuff, you know, it's not, it's like whatever I want my friends to book up stuff. Um, but I would a hundred percent approach somebody and say, Hey, if you have any extra weddings, um, you can't shoot and you want some money for it. I will, I'll pay you like a, either a booking fee or like a flat rate for any wedding that books. Um, because I feel like that that's just respectful to their work and credit. Like they've done work to earn those referrals and to just give them away to me seems crazy. Um, because they probably have high quality leads that they're passing on. So sure. yeah, no, that makes sense. And I, I would just piggyback on that. Um, one, because I li- love saying piggyback and two, <laughs> piggyback. Uh, because I have an idea that sort of piggybacks on that idea. And okay. So what I'm saying is, um, yeah, in creating a referral chain, sure. Money is a great incentive. Uh, but, um, I think the, don't limit yourself to only photographers. You know, your clients are a great resource and they already love your work. And so uh, maybe having an email chain for everyone who is connected with your photography and saying, and saying, hey, um, every now and then making sure they're thinking about your photography or what you're doing. And so as long as your work is in their mind, when they have a friend that's getting married, they're going to be like, oh, you should check out this guy. Or even simply just asking for refer- referrals. Yeah. Like, I've done that. Send out an email blast to all my past clients. And it's just like, hey, guys, just wanted to say I love you guys. I want to, I'm, keep, I'm expanding the business. I'm working hard. Uh, and if you guys know anybody that's getting married, I'd love for you to just uh, send them my way or something like that. I said something like that. Got like three or four referrals from that. Yeah. You know, and it's a simple email. But, it, it, you know, and so I'm also now working on creating a database where I send out like an email every you know quarter that says, hey, look at this image or this is what we're working on. This is what we're excited about. So even though my past clients, you know, booked me, I'm not letting them go. They still become my right. referral network. And so, I think a lot of people want to help. They just don't know how to help. Yeah. And they don't even think that like, oh, my friend's getting married or so that like, I should refer them to my photographer because they're, they're awesome. They don't even, they, it's like, it doesn't really cross their mind, really. It doesn't always cross their mind. And like, so just be like, oh, yeah, like they, if you were to say that to somebody, they'd probably be like, you know, they'd probably be like, yeah, I'd love to recommend you to somebody. So I think that's a great answer. Yeah, yeah, to go to push past just like, like, oh, yeah, I hope my clients are thinking about me or I hope the florist is thinking about me to saying like, hey, like, think about me. Like, here, hey, look, that's, that's the, the beauty of advertising. McDonald's and Coke and all they're like the biggest companies but yet they still advertise so much to say and what they're saying is hey think about me because when you get thirsty I want you to think about me because yeah. you know it's it and that's and they're continually pushing they don't need to do that but they know that being in the forefront of people's minds is as soon as they start thinking about photography they will think of Adonia Jaja or you know, Levi Tirina or Gabe, you know, or whatever. And so being a little bit more forward and, and advertising, not, I, I, we should do a, a podcast about advertising because I don't think it's such a negative thing. I think in our, in our no way, man. day and time, you know, it's like, oh, you're advertising. That's not authentic. I'm like, no, you have to help your clients uh, get the best quality photography that they can. And right. I hope you think that's you, you yeah. know, like you have to 
put yourself in front of them or else they'll, they won't. We'll yeah. I think, yeah, we, we share. Cause I think a lot of people associate advertising with like, Oh, you, if you have to advertise, that means you're not good at getting clients. Therefore your business is failing, um, which just isn't true. Oh yeah. Every, every successful business, well, not all of them, but listen, all the big businesses, you know, whatever car you're driving, whatever they advertise, yeah. like it's, and that's because they believe that your their car is the safest. They believe that you're going to be happy in a Subaru. And so I buy a Subaru and I'm happy in it. You know, like, anyway, we can talk later. This more podcast about brought to you by Subaru. <laughs> Subaru. <laughs> uh, yeah, Subaru, if you'll just uh, sponsor us uh, from here on out, that'd Perfect. be great. Sweet. Uh, at Subaru. Thank you. All right, next question from at Missy Calvert. Missy? Missy. Hey, Missy. What gear is always in your bag? I was trying to make a joke, but I couldn't. I was going to be like, third gear, put it, <laughs> drop it down. <laughs> okay, I'm very sorry. Uh, what gear is always in my bag? Uh, for me, it's that's easy. I'm 35, 85, uh, two primes yeah. all day long. And I'm so, yeah. 50, 24. You're 50, 24? Yeah. Dang, bro. Yeah. Who should shoot together? Who should shoot together? I mean, I, I, love, I love my 35, but, man, I don't shoot the 85 often. And you I don't shoot 85? Not very often. Gosh, man, I and love, I love the I love the 50, love the 24. I love the way they work together. I um, only do family photos with my 85 now, if I can. Really? Oh, yeah. I just step back. It's like, I can be over here, like, 30 feet away. Yeah. But, I mean, they look good. It's, it's, got, it's buttery, you know? Yeah, it's so nice. Yeah. Like, I'll shoot them at, like, 3.5 or something, but it's, yeah. like, it's just... It's still nice. The compression's nice. Uh, yeah, for me, that's I. I never leave without a thirty-five and eighty-five. And sometimes I will only take that to a wedding. Sometimes I'll you know have a fourteen twenty-four for like dancing or something. Yeah. But sometimes at a wedding, I'll only shoot one body. So I'll have one body and I'll just switch. Literally just thirty-five all all day long. No, no, I'll switch thirty-five <laughs> eighty-five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. This is actually this is funny. I had a I had a a guy shoot for me one time, uh, and he. He flew in from out of state, and he literally only brought a thirty-five, Dang. like one lens. That was it. Wow. So, I told my my friend about this, and he we literally call him Mister Thirty-Five. Mister Thirty-Five from, from now on. What's up, Mister Thirty-Five? Mister Thirty-Five. Yeah. Um, because Dang. that's all he brought. I would if I had to only choose one lens to shoot a wedding, I would choose a fifty. I just feel like it's I can get nice buttery portraits. Or I can step back and get something broad and just like stitch stitch photos together. Yeah, that's true. I guess. I, I would. I feel like I'd probably do the thirty five if I had to. I had to pick one, but the fifty. I, I love like, the. I do love the fifty though. You know. I don't like portraits with a thirty five. Well, some of them I do. I just like to get up close and get your likeness. I mm. feel like it's a little bulbous. Like yeah, that sort of totally. I feel, like I hate verticals in thirty five. I feel like it just like yeah. has a weird dis- distortion. We're going to fifty though. Mm. Mm, that's Delicious. true. Delicious. Come on now. Come on next, now, Missy. Uh, next question. Wait, from... wait, wait, wait. Oh yeah. Missy, what's the thing in your bag? Yeah. Let, let, let us know. I want to know. Yeah. What's yeah? yeah what's your what, go to gear? What's your go to? All right, all right. What's next? Uh, Baker's dozen. What up, Baker's dozen? Are they <laughs> are they photographers or no? <laughs> oh, they're just why bakers? why are you the the way that you are? <laughs> this is someone what? that you know. <laughs> what gives you the right? <laughs> <laughs> this is Andrew Baker. Oh, it's Andrew Baker. <laughs> it's actually it's a it's a quote from The Office when uh, oh, okay, with Michael good. interviewing Toby oh, okay. and uh, his his HR meeting. Why are you Baker's dozen? Are you gonna have a dozen kids, Andrew? What are you talking about? Well, man? it's spelled 
like Dozen, oh. D-O-Z-I-N, but okay. I feel like it's got to be Dozen. I'm it... only going to call him Dozen right now. What's up, Dozen? B-Dozen. Yeah. Oh All right. Gosh. We'll have one more question. No. Why are you the way you are, Levi? <laughs> <laughs> what gives you the right? What gives you the right. Oh, my gosh. So funny. <laughs> uh, K. Matiska Photography. What's up, K. Matiska? Yeah. Okay, cool. Matiska? I don't know. I actually don't know how to pronounce the surname properly, so I What's apologize. Up, um, how do you deal with clients asking for discounts on wedding packages? Okay. Don't offer wedding packages. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, actually, no, for real, though. I, I what slay I, them with the sword. <laughs> no, okay, yeah. what, I, what I did for this is I had my base package. Um, well, there's, I guess, two different ways. One, you can just do a la carte, and then mm-hmm. there's no packages, sure. so they just add things on. Um, two is I did packages, but my base package is just coverage, just hourly coverage at a certain, you know, whatever, six hours, whatever. And if they just want hourly coverage, I say, that perfect. Um, or they want to take something out, go back to that first package, add on the hours that you want or what you do want and go there versus going to some, a, a pre-built package and taking something out. Go to the one that you want and add things there. Mm-hmm. That's how I get people to not offer or ask for discounts. Because I think when I started out, I had people who I had like my initial package would be like, my base package would be like wedding coverage and like an engagement session. And they'd always be like, oh, well, how do I, I don't want the engagement session. So can't take that out. And I was like in my base package. So I was like, uh, I don't really know what to do. So I figured, you know what? The best way to avoid this is make my base package just coverage for like an appropriate amount of time at a wedding, like six hours. Uh, if you want eight hours of coverage. And the second package could be like, what, eight hours plus, you know, an engagement session or whatever. If they just want eight hours of coverage, be like, that's perfect. Go to the six-hour package, add on two hours, you're good to go. Um, and that's that's how I would go about it yeah man um i don't know what you just said it sounded very confusing and no i'm just kidding <laughs> honestly i did blank out but uh, <laughs> mandela effect coming yeah, in like, strong Wait, what happened? <laughs> uh how do i deal with it i deal with it i'm very like i'm not the best business person so i'll just be upfront. like i you know i consider like and so i shoot um really high-end weddings and so because of that, I, there's a lot of like room for me. Like I, you know, and so if someone wants, you know, a grand or two off a wedding, it's like, okay, you know, like if they really can't afford it, you know, I don't want anyone who really wants my photography to not have it. You know, I, I love shooting weddings. And so I'm kind of like, I look at the books, I have a number that I need to shoot over for every weekend if I'm booking a wedding. And so I, I know what that number is and I know, you know, and so I, if someone really loves my work and they really want, uh, me to shoot their wedding, I will shoot it, you know, but I also have like a, you know, starting price on my website and all that kind of stuff. And so they, they already have an idea of what it's going to cost. And so coming from sort of planners, they know what I'm going to, what I'm charging. Um, and so, uh, I don't, I don't have a hard and fast way in, in which I deal with it. If some, like I just had a, a, a wedding and the planner was like, Hey, they want, uh, they want package, whatever. I only, I only offer three packages. They're very simple, you know? And if, if they want a second, if they don't want something, I'll be like, okay, sure. I can do it at this price, whatever your asking price is or whatever, if I can, or I'll negotiate, um, and, but you won't have a second shooter. It'll just be me for eight hours or whatever the hour yeah. is. And there won't be like any extras in the package. Like you won't get prints and you won't get an album. You won't get, you know. And so 
it just kind of makes sense. And so if I'm doing that lowest, and honestly, I'll, I'm just going to be up front. Like I had a, I had a guy, one of the guys that I uh, sort of started working for, he, he worked, he shot weddings at like, uh, 10 to 12 grand, you know, uh, years ago. Right. And, uh, and I, I only worked with him a couple of times. So one day we were shooting a wedding and I was second shooting for him and I, we were just talking and he was like, Hey man, um, I, I asked him, I was like, Hey man, I'm making this sort of leap into the next level, uh, of the industry. And I'm, I'm still getting inquiries at like the five or $6,000 range. How do I, how do I convert those into the higher market or how do I like make sure that I'm not, um, I don't want to just say no to those inquiries, you know, and it's still money on the table. And he's, he was like, uh, AD, I've been shooting weddings for, you know, X amount of years and I still shoot a wedding at five grand every now and then. I was like, wait, really? Like, you're like the dude, you know, one of the dudes. And he was like, and he was like, yeah, he, it was a very honest moment, but he was like, $5,000 is a great amount of money to make on a Saturday. And so if I'm not booked and I, if I'm not booked and I have uh, a planner asking me, you know, for a favor or something like that, why wouldn't I shoot it? You know, like, why would I say no to that? And I was like, wait, really? Like, but doesn't that give you less, because uh, you don't want to continue doing that? And so... For smaller, like for people that are just starting out and they're charging like three or four thousand or two thousand, I don't know, you know, uh, that's a that's a different story. You don't want to shoot a wedding at a thousand. There's a there's a point in which you should just say no, right? And you know, and hold on to your art and understand what it's worth. Uh, I think so. But when when this guy who I really respect when he said that to me, it made me understand that okay, some of his weddings are like bread and butter weddings, and they they're there. And I still don't want to do that. I want all my clients to be charged the same thing. Um, but at the same time, I understand I have a job to do and right. I have to make money and right. I have to um, I have to feed myself and all that kind of stuff. And I have a system in place to understand how that works. And so right. I would think, I would say to, uh, to this guy, uh, look at your bottom line, look at how much you need to make for the year, you know, and how much each wedding should be. And then price yourself accordingly so that even if they do, there's a little room, you know, and then you also feel great about every wedding. Remember, right. you don't want to price yourself at two grand if that's what you think you need to make for the year. You know, you're you're not. There's so many incidentals and things that come up. You have there's so much more that goes into pricing than simply just like, oh, I need to make, you know, a hundred grand a year, so I need to shoot fifty weddings at two grand. You know, like you have to, you know taxes, you have to pay. Uh, incidental fees or flights and all these other things right. that you need to be budgeting for. So if you need to make that, you should probably be charging a third higher. So you right. need to be charging at least three or, you know, in order to make that. And so I would, I would say also, you know, put your prices, put your prices up. But if you find someone that loves your work and they come back and they're like, I really can't do it because it's like, can you come down 500? Sure, I have that thought like, hey, 500 is not a big price difference. Like the kind of person who is uh, chipping away at my at my work for $500 might not be my ideal client. Right. But at the same time, I want them to feel good. And so I there's it's it's a hard thing yeah, to navigate. It's not formulaic. I, it's yeah, not like it's a hard thing to navigate. Right. It's it's I mean it's relating to human people, real people, so you got to kind of just like feel out based on the people. Yeah, yeah, and so sometimes I'm like, 
like there's a client I'm like I don't I don't want to shoot their wedding and they were like hey can we have it uh, this is years ago they were can we have it at like you know maybe a thousand off and I was like nope this is my price because I knew it was going to be a headache to mm-hmm. shoot the wedding it wasn't going to be fun she, even in the meeting I was like this isn't like the greatest meeting and they didn't end up booking me and right. I was like I'm not I'm not upset about that you right. know like and so this is this is me being exposed. This is the really real. Like I'm just yeah. like, you know, like sometimes. And so I'm still trying to get away from that. Right. Like I want all my clients to pay, you know, a certain price. Right. Um, and but at the end of the day, the clients that get deals, I, I don't treat, I I don't treat them as mm-hmm. with the same. Like I maybe I, I might not rent this like really amazing lens for their wedding, because I gave them a discount and I. You know, I've already given that, you know, and right. so I just want to make sure I'm giving all my clients, the re- you know, I'm saying a lot of stuff, but I want to make sure I'm giving them the best right. every time. Yeah. And so that has to do with how much money they're making. And right. the other thing is with pricing too, is that somewhere, somewhere, some lady or some not lady or some guy or whoever wrote a thing online that says you should pay your photographer, you know, 10% of your wedding budget or whatever. And that's what your client is going is looking right. at. They don't understand pricing the way you do as a photographer in the industry. And so when the you know, not that ten percent is a bad, you know, thing, that that actually holds true in certain situations, you know. Um but knowing that, you know, educating them on what and why pricing exists and like you know, what they're paying for and, uh, you know, the value of their imagery and all that right. kind of stuff is part of the conversation that you should have on the phone with them before you talk about pricing. Right. You should be, you should be growing the, the value. Sales is the transfer of emotions. And so you should be growing the value of their emotions and their tie to your work while you're on the phone with them. So when it comes to pricing, that's just them transferring their emotional investment into dollars, which is a very, if you do that right, it's a very simple thing. They're just like, all right, well, do you want to pay for it? Well, well yeah, if it's going to be my visual legacy for all time, of course <laughs> I'll give you, you know, and, but that's the truth. Right. That's what we're doing. And so I, you know, and so that's my really long answer to a very, Whew, that was uh yeah, sorry, I should stop. Yeah. That. Wow. I did. Yeah. Thanks. For... I broke my diet and drank some coffee today. Oh, so, yeah. He's back on. I'm, I'm back. <laughs> I'm back and I'm better and I'm doing it. My name's AD and I, okay. All right. That you were was supposed to come in. That was weird. Yeah. Whatever. All right, y'all. That is the Blacklight Podcast for the week. Thank you so much for joining wait, in with wait, us. Wait, what about a photographer of the week? We already had a photographer of the week. This is our second episode this week. Oh, good point. Who was that? You don't even remember. <laughs> you don't even remember. Let's listen to the last episode to listen to our it. Our photographer of the week was Caroline Gates yeah. slash Gatesh. Gets? Gets. Why are you saying Gates? Gets. Maybe Gatesh, in one Gates. world it was Gates. Yeah, shout out Caroline. All right, guys. Uh, Yeah, this is it. This is Black Light Podcast. Black Light Podcast. I like how many times we say Black Light Podcast. Black Light Podcast. Black Light Podcast. All right, we'll catch you all next week. Peace.